Well, good morning. Thank you, uh, Charlotte, for that special. That was beautiful. Um, I want to start. I, this week, I don't know if you saw it. I, I, was, I was watching um, the, uh, the news this week, and they showed um, a story about these uh, two little girls, a three-year-old and a five-year-old, that were... Um, they were dangled over the 14-foot wall that separates the United States and, um, and Mexico, I guess. 14-foot uh, wall, and this guy went up on top of it, and he dangled a, a five-year-old girl and her three-year-old sister over the wall and dropped them on the U.S. side. It was in the middle of like a desert in the middle of the night, and they have it on, on video um, watching that, it, and it just, it made me sick, because that's basically Charlotte and Emma. Uh, it's their, about their age, and I thought, you, if you dropped either one, of the, if you dropped them over the wall, just, and left them alone in the desert in the middle of the night, I, it, I don't know what they would do. I, I, I couldn't lock them out on the back porch in the middle of the night without them being terrified. I can't imagine what these kids were going through. Um, it, the, I think the greatest hardships my, my kids have are not enough room on their tablet to uh, download a new game, or, or maybe the city forgets to unlock the, uh, the park one day, but that's all they have to worry about, and these two little girls, their age, are just in the desert alone in the middle of the night, uh, not knowing where their parents are, it was just... It was heartbreaking to see anybody could do that uh, to little girls or little children at all. Uh, they said the reason was because their parents were in the United States. And they said, well, if we drop them over, then hopefully, I guess if they live, uh, they might be able to reunite them with um, their parents. Um, it just, it just it, it affected me in a way that I, just, I hated thinking about. Um, my girls going through something like that. Um, Nelson Mandela once said, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. As a preacher, I can think of some other ways that we can measure society's soul, but I see what he's saying. I, I see that um, what he's talking about as far as how we treat our children. Uh, the United States in 2018 reported 620,000 abortions. That tells you something about a society's compassion for children. That number is actually down 16% from 2009, so that's a good thing. Um, but you, know, you hear proponents of um, a woman's right to choose and, and I remember, uh, I believe it was China, for a while, they had a, a rule where a family could only have one child. Because they were being so overpopulated, only have one child. So what they would do is, it, they would rather have boys in their society. Because they could go into the workforce, and, and it was more prestigious, apparently, to have a boy. So, when a woman became pregnant with a, with a girl, they would have an abortion so that they could have a boy later on. They, they, they would, that's how they would try and um, deal with the children they could have. They, they would get to choose 
what they would have. And I remember there were a lot of people that couldn't believe, oh, that, that's an awful thing to do. Well, if you think abortion is okay, then aborting a girl to get until you have a boy should be okay. It doesn't seem like it would matter. But by admitting that, oh, this is a terrible thing to do to abort a, just because it's a girl, then you're admitting that there's life. And, and it's, it's not something that we should be doing. But um, we see a lot of, uh, uh, I'm sorry, let me back up. Uh, we see a lot of uh, things in our society uh, that have issues that need to be addressed. And, and children are, uh, are defenseless and they need for us to care for them. And the Bible tells us that we are to care for, for widows and orphans. And why are we to do that? It's because they were considered to be the most vulnerable. Um, and we see many uh, horrible things happening in the world today. Um, and I want to take a look at what the Bible has to tell us about those things. And we're going to look in 2 Timothy chapter 3 today. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be reading the first five verses. I'm sorry, I looked up and I saw that dinosaur sitting on the, the back of the pew. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it, it, I'm afraid it's too late for them. Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, if you have trouble finding it, it's conveniently located after 1 Timothy. And uh, right before that giant book of Titus. It's also located on 1,048 in my Bible. And when you found 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, if you would stand, if you're physically able, for the reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. The Word of God says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power, and from such people turn away. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the time that you're allowing us to be in your house, uh, to, to worship you and to hear a word from you, Lord. I, I pray that you will speak through me today. Allow these to be your words and not mine. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts as your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't have... Uh, Three points for you today. I, I think Paul makes one solid point here. Um, Paul's writing, this is his second letter to Timothy, and this one is coming from prison. And it's a letter of not only encouragement, but also of warning. He's warning Timothy. He wants him to know of what's to come. He wants Timothy to know that people are going to start turning away from sound doctrine. 
um, and, and to look, they're, they're going to start looking for teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. So in verse 1, it says, Know this, in the last days perilous times will come. When he says know this, he, he, he says be prepared for it, because it's going to happen. Um, don't let it catch you off guard. Th- things are going to get bad. And, and, and he's talking about inside the church. He's talking about the people in the church. He's saying things are going to get bad. People are going to start turning against you. Uh, people are going to start turning against the word of God. They're not going to want to hear it anymore. Um, and when that happens, it's going to cause perilous times. Uh, now, the Greek word for perilous uh, was used in the Bible a few different times, but most often it's used to describe wild beasts or, or like a raging sea. And sometimes the world feels like that, especially in our own lives, being in a boat on a raging sea where, where you just can't, can't find your balance. You can't find anything that's stable. You're just being tossed and turned. And when our lives feel like that, I, I think we tend to focus more on that. You know, how am I going to catch my footing? How am I going to try and level this thing out? How am I going to try and you know, settle the things that are going on in my life? But if we take a step back and we take a look at the world, we can also see that the world is operating in the same fashion. It is also in this um, constant state of like turmoil. Uh, things keep changing and, and, and getting worse and worse as time goes by. And what Paul is telling us is that the world is going to be a very ugly place when Jesus returns. Because he goes on to list about 18 or 19 reasons that people are going to end up turning away from God. And Paul says that these, these signs, these things that he sees, these things that he's being shown, are what are going to happen in what he calls the last days. And I think it's important that, that we point out that um, just because we may see all 19 of these things happening in the world today, it doesn't mean Jesus is coming back tomorrow. It doesn't mean that he's not. It just doesn't mean that, oh, we can't look at this and say, oh, all these things are happening right now. He, I'm going to set up a lawn chair and, and sit outside and wait for him. That's not what, what it's about. Um, you know, preachers, you, you can go back, you know, 40, 50, 60 years and, and watch uh, televa- televangelists or you can see Billy Graham preaching about this in, in big arenas. And he's preaching about the last days. Pe- preachers have been preaching about this for a long time um, because these things that he listed have been going on for so long. Uh, it's nothing that's new to us today. The, the issue is that each one of these, as the years go by, things seem to be getting worse, right? It could be that 60 years ago, people read this passage and said, that's exactly what's going on today. It can't get any worse than it is today. And here we are 60 years later thinking, wow, things got a lot worse. But it can't get any worse, right? Well, who knows? 60 years from now, uh, things may be a lot worse. You know, it seems like year after year, the world just continues to find ways that we can drift further and further from God. So I, I think it's amazing, and I, and I want to look at how prevalent Paul's words are for us today. Starting in verse 2, I'm going to go down through these. I'll, I'll lump some together so we won't have to 
go over all 19, but um, I want to talk about each one. The first one, he says, is lovers of themselves. And in my opinion, Paul could have stopped right there. Because the other 18 or so that he's going to list, can all, they're all, they all branch off of the concept of being lovers of ourselves. Um, this is what our society puts the greatest emphasis on today, right? Learn to love yourself. You'll hear people say, how can you love others until you learn to love yourself, right? How, how, how can I make anybody else happy until I learn what makes me happy? If I can't love myself, how can I love anybody else? But what they don't take into account is maybe we were created by a creator that is so much wiser than we are that he created somebody just for us that helps complete us, that helps make us that happy, that's able to fulfill something in our lives that we can't fulfill on our own. We live in an era where it's become acceptable to build a shrine to ourselves, where we can post pictures, and we can tell everybody how great our lives are. And not only do we want people to, to look at our shrine, we want people to like it, right? That's become acceptable. And when you think about it, it sounds a lot like a modernized version of the book of Judges, right? People just making shrines of themselves that they want people to worship. And that creates an atmosphere where people turn away from God and start worshiping idols. I know I've talked about this being the selfie generation, right? I, 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 remember, um, I remember when I was a kid, we had this camera that, that you put the roll of film in and you had to push like a, a slider on the bottom after each picture, you take a picture, hit the slider, hit, take a picture. And then we would take that roll of film to the grocery store and we would like put it in like a bag and write our address. But you had like a wait a week and then you'd go back to the grocery store and they would have them there for you to pick up. And you never knew what the pictures were, you didn't know how they were going to turn out because you didn't have like a, a, a feeder or whatever, the window that tells you exactly what it looks like. But the one thing you could be sure of is there was going to be a handful of those pictures that would have like a finger covering part of the lens, right? It was just like a pink uh, uh, half moon that would, that would cover part of the picture. Now today, most of the pictures you'll see have the entire arm in it, Right? Because you have to have your whole arm in the picture to get a selfie. You can go to the Grand Canyon. You, you see pictures of people that go to the Grand Canyon, and, and they'll, they'll stand up and take a picture of them. They, they take up three-quarters of the picture. Meanwhile, you see a little sliver of Grand Canyon behind them. Because that's, that's how we make the, the, the um, picture meet its maximum potential of awesomeness. Paul starts off with people being lovers of themselves. The second thing he says is people are going to be lovers of money. In Paul's first letter to Timothy, he said, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. That's a verse that a lot of people take out of context. They'll say, money is the root of all evils. No, that's not true. It's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, 
right? You, you can still be uh, self-centered uh, and be broke, right? You, you can still sin and be broke. But today's age, a lot of people will sacrifice so much just to chase a dollar, right? I saw something the other day that said, if you die tomorrow, your boss will have your job posted by the end of the month. But the people that love you will miss you for years. And it kind of puts into perspective of, well, how are we spending our time? Where, where are we putting our energy into? It really, it, it should put that in perspective that we may be chasing that dollar. We may be wanting to put in the extra hours at work so that we can earn a good living and that we can have uh, extra things in life. But what really matters is the people that love us because your job, when you're gone, they'll move on from you. Don't give your soul to your job, right? It's not worth it. But we're a society that places a lot of emphasis on money. And when I was looking this up, I was reading about America's infatuation with money, and an article came up from the Los Angeles Times. It was from 1992, so almost 30 years ago. And the headline was, I was reading, I asked Kate about this last night, uh, is a headline, it was, I guess it was in a newspaper. It said, how to marry rich. It may just take a little class and $39. And what it was, was a, this woman, she, had, she taught a three-hour class on how to find somebody and marry somebody that was rich. She would teach them how to go through, um, uh, back, I don't know if people still do this, but they, they kept like a bank uh, ledger, a checkbook ledger, and she taught them how to look at their deposits and see and be able to figure out how much that person would make annually to find out if that was a, a right mate for them. And one of the students asked the teacher, what if I find a person that is just perfect for me uh, in, in every way, but he only makes, say, $100,000 a year? Is it okay to, to, to settle for him? And the teacher told her, no. No, don't settle, because it's much harder to find somebody that's rich. You can find somebody that's rich, and then it's much easier to fall in love with that person because they do all these things for you. They're able to buy you all of these things. It just it, it blew my mind that people would actually pay money to take this course from a woman who apparently was single, by the way. Uh, but that's where we've, we've come. We've become so infatuated with money that, that that's what we, we put all of our stock in. Right? But that's not a new phenomenon. That's been going on for, for, for years. We have shows like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Well, everybody wants to be a millionaire. Of course I'm going to watch that. There was a show called, um, I don't know if they still do this, but it was called The Bachelor, where they would have this millionaire man, and then they would have, what, like 50 women that were all vying to, to marry him on a TV show. It was ridiculous. But that's where we've become. A society that, that it, it, we, we think only about ourselves, become lovers of ourselves, and lovers of money. Next up, the boasters 
and the proud. Again, this is the, the look at me. Look at what I've done. Uh, look how much better I am than someone else. It's the boasters. People that, that brag about themselves. People that boast about taking all the credit for the things that they have or the things that they have accomplished. Well, what's wrong with that? If I've accomplished a lot and I have a lot of material things, what's wrong with me boasting about it or bragging about it? As a Christian, we're to give God the glory. Because God is the reason we have the things that we have. He's the reason that we have the relationships that we have. He's the reason that we have the gifts that we have. He's the reason for the material, even the material possessions in our lives. You say, well, God didn't give me my house. No, but he may have given you the abilities, the, the, the gifts, the strengths, the brains to have the career, the job that was able to afford you that house. All things can be linked back to God's gift to you. We give God the glory for the things that we have. Then he goes on to blasphemers. I, I, I've heard this pronounced blasphemers, and I like blasphemers. But uh, and when we usually think of this word, uh, we think about people denying God's power or speaking badly about him or even denying God's existence. In this instance, he's not specifically talking about people blaspheming God. He's talking about people that speak badly of each other. So an, an, another definition for a blasphemer is be, would be railing, railing against somebody, which means to, to protest, criticize, or complain angrily about someone or something. Protest, criticize, or complain. That's our national pastime these days. <laughs> Uh, you can't turn on the TV, you can't go online, you can't pick up the phone and call somebody without having a, co a conversation that leads around to complaining about something or someone. We have become a society that would rather complain about something than take action for it. No one's happy. Everyone's upset. Everybody's angry. And this is not what God intended for us. But it's what Paul said was going to come. Paul said, in the end days, this is what we're going to see. And you can see how somebody reading that now would say, well, we're, we're, we're in the last days because this is going on right now. We're technically in the last days after Jesus left. right? Once he ascended, we, that's, that marked the beginning of the last days. From that point on, we're just waiting for the second coming. Next, he said, people are going to be disobedient to parents. I think we're all parents or grandparents in here, so I probably don't have to um, elaborate too much on that. But it, it's almost a surprise now when you see a child being obedient. When you're in the store uh, and, and, and you see a, a parent say, no, Billy, you can't have that, that new toy. Okay, Mom. You don't see that anymore. You see kids breaking down and having a fit because they're not getting their way. Or at a restaurant, uh, you know, Susie, eat, eat your peas. Okay, Mom. No. They throw fit. I don't want that. I don't want. They, they throw fit because it's not what they want. You know, I, I, I hear students at school openly talking about how they break their parents' rules. I... 
it's like they don't care what their parents have to say. Um, and, you know, I, and I, I think about it now, and I, I think, do they even realize that they're being disobedient? Right? Their parents are trying to tell them to do something that they don't want to do. Why, do I don't, why should I have to do something I don't want to do? Why, why, why should I have to follow these rules if I don't like them? If they don't make me happy, I shouldn't have to follow them. That's the way it comes across. And I don't know if they even realize that it's being disrespectful. I don't know if they realize what being disobedient even means. Next, we come to the four uns. We have unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. Again, we see our nation, our world in Paul's words. Um, is anyone thankful anymore? Rarely, right? When was the last time you held a door or an elevator for somebody and they stopped saying, thank you so much, I appreciate that. When was the last time you let somebody into traffic and they waved to you? Oh, thank you. That drives me crazy. When I let people in line in traffic, and I didn't have to, but I stop and I let you in, and I don't even get like a wave. <laughs> it, it, it eats me up inside. Uh, but we're no longer a thankful society. And why not? It's because we're lovers ourselves. I deserve that. We believe that we're entitled to whatever makes us happy. No one's forgiving anymore. How many times do you hear families talk about they've held grudges for years? We don't forgive. Listen, if we ask for forgiveness from God, he gives it to us. And he expects us to forgive others. Unloving, in the, in the King James Version, is translated without natural affection, which literally is translated as without family love. So Paul's saying in the last days, things are going to be so bad that families aren't even going to love each other. They're not even going to get along anymore. They're going to start breaking apart. They're going to be unthankful, unforgiving to each other. We're seeing that today. These are prophetic words from Paul. He was given a revelation as to how the world was going to look how it was going to be before Jesus returned. Next, we have slanderers, which is similar to blasphemers, talking badly about others. Uh, slandering is basically what politics is now. The, the winner of an election is the one that can slander or, or, or drag their opponent's name through the mud more than the other. Next, we have without self-control. And this can be anything, drugs, alcohol, food, Work, shopping. What, why do we do these things? Why, why is it that we can't stop ourselves from overindulging in them? Again, it's because we are lovers of self. If it's going to make me happy, it must be okay. Next, we have brutal. Brutal. Last Sunday, after our Easter supper, I was sitting in the living room with my father-in-law, Eugene. And he said, did you see the, the, the news about what happened at Burger King in Memphis? I said, no, I, I didn't hear anything about it. So he pulled up the, the article on his phone. He's showing it to me. This woman was in line at Burger King. It, it, it was near where I taught in Memphis. It was actually down the street. And um, I guess it was taking a long time. 
she was at that little box and they weren't answering her. So she gets out of her car, walks up to the window and leans in and has a conversation with the, the girl inside. Apparently she doesn't like what the girl inside says. So she goes back to her vehicle, comes back with a gun, leans through the window and starts shooting the place up. Brutal. We've become a society that, that says, if I have to wait, if I have to be inconvenienced in any way for any amount of time, it should cost you your life. People think that's acceptable now. It's becoming worse and worse. Next, despisers of good. I don't know how many times a week I see a teenager or even adults do something that they know is completely wrong and they just don't care. I find myself weekly pleading with kids or my students, just do the right thing. You know what you're about to do is wrong, so just don't do it. But if it's an inconvenience to me to do the right thing, I shouldn't have to do it, right? I, I, this is a weak example, but we live on a one-way street. We have cars that I know they see the one-way sign, but they decide to go the wrong way down our street anyway. Wouldn't be a problem if it was just, you know, a, a regular old street. But the problem is when you go the wrong way down a one-way street, you don't have stop signs, right? They, they didn't put stop signs up for you if you're going the wrong way down a one-way street. And we are on the same street as the school, the same street as the park where kids are playing. People aren't expecting to see a car going the wrong way down that street. I was on the porch the other night, and it was dark out, and this truck started going down the wrong way. And I looked over at him, and he could see me looking at him. He turned off his lights and sped down the street. It's an inconvenience to have to go up a block and around, right? So we just ignore the rules. We ignore what we're supposed to do and do what's best for us, do what's most convenient for ourselves. Next, we have traitors, headstrong, the haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Again, all these things fall under that heading that Paul is trying to drive home. They are caused by selfishness. Traitors, because we care about ourselves. Headstrong, because we care about ourselves. Haughty, because we care about ourselves. And we care more about our own pleasure then we care about loving God. Having the form of godliness, but denying his power. These are people that appear to be good, God-fearing Christians. They come to church. They, they, they post scripture on Facebook. When, when, when they see somebody in the street, they say, how are you doing? They always answer with blessed. Right? They know all the things to say. But they deny God's power. What does it mean to deny God's power? It means that they are not allowing Him to lead them. I look spiritual. I, I look like a God-fearing Christian. I know my Bible. I'm quick to quote a scripture. I have the form. I have the look of godliness. But I don't allow Him to guide me. And why not? Why don't people that seem to know their Bible, seem to know the Word of God, why don't they allow God to lead them? It's because too often, the way God leads you, 
doesn't make the flesh feel good, right? When the flesh wants what it wants, sometimes the Bible says, no, that's not what I want for you. God's saying, no, that's not what I have planned for you. Don't take that route. But it's the route that's going to make me happy. This is what Paul's talking about. This is why he's saying people will stop listening to sound doctrine. This is why Paul says people are going to stop listening to you, Timothy. Be prepared for it. This is what the end days are going to look like. And he finishes with saying, from such people, turn away. You don't want to be near them. And we may think, well, I don't act that way. I, I, I don't seem to have these problems, so I don't have anything to worry about. Paul says we shouldn't be hanging around people like that. And why? Why shouldn't we be? He told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul said, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So you may be doing the right things. People in church are... Uh, are, are, are living for God and they're reading their Bibles, they're praying, they're, they're doing all the things that God says that we should be doing. But when we start hanging around people, when we start having people coming into the church and not doing those things, they rub off on us, right? And that's what Paul is saying, that eventually it's going to grow, it's going to spread. That's how we're going to know what the last days look like. Don't put yourself in that position. So, you, so, what can I do to not fall into this trap? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because if you skip down a few verses to verse 14 and 15, Paul says, But you must, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He said, but you, meaning they may be doing all these other things. They, 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 they may be uh, self-centered. They may be haughty. They may be lovers of, of self. They may be lovers of money. right? They, they may be brutal. They may look godly and then you see them out in the world doing things they're not supposed to be doing. He says, but you, you are to be different. God calls us to be different. We're to stand out in the world. People are supposed to be able to look at us and say they are different. That's why he says, but you. And but you what? Where, where, where does Paul tell us to turn? He tells us to Turn to the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. If you want to avoid turning into one of those signs that he says is going to be in the last days, read your Bible. It's in the Holy Scriptures. Let it guide you. I've said this before, that this Bible... It's a road map. It's a road map that will lead you to salvation. It'll lead you to the feet of Jesus. And when it comes to the last days, the feet of Jesus is right where you want to be. Let's pray. Lord, again, we are so grateful to be able to come into your house to, to worship you, Lord. We, we want to follow you. We want, we want to take your word and, and live it. 
Lord, we, we love you, and we just want this word to be impressed on our hearts. Lord, we, we know the end days are coming. Lord, we don't know if it's today, tomorrow, or another 60 years. But Lord, we look forward to you coming back. Lord, I just pray that you will put somebody before us that we could share your gospel with, share the good news with uh, of what your son did on the cross for their sins. Lord, we, we want to reach people before that day comes. Lord, we love you. We ask you to be with us as we go our separate ways. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.